Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, and Grace Parra join me to tackle the following questions. Why do some men still think it's okay to call a colleague a fucking bitch? What's the difference between special and exceptional? And what should you definitely not say to someone on their period? All this and more right now. I'm really excited about the show today, and I'm still kind of delirious from driving across the country over the last four days. So let's get to the news and connect with my friend, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Barack Obama and silver-haired queen of upstate New York, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Hey, Alyssa. Hi, Erin. Your hair looks amazing. Nobody, this is an audio medium. But you're but let let everybody picture in their head the resplendence. Describe Am I it, like a silver lavender fox? Is that is that is that what's happening? I think what is a female a female fox is a vixen. You're silver, you're a lavender. I'm a vixen. vixen? <laughs> now that's even funnier if you saw everything on me other than my hair. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh Alyssa, I have a funny anecdote Please. for you. I'm ready. Okay. So, uh, well, as you know, because you've been getting text updates, um, I just drove from Los Angeles to my parents' house in northwestern Wisconsin um, because my birthday's coming up. And I was like, I haven't been with my family for 10 years. I've got COVID madness. I've got a negative COVID test. Got to do it. Got to get out of here. So we, um, we flew through the western states like President Trump flying through the part of a cognitive test where he has to identify an elephant. <laughs> and uh, we were driving pretty fast by the time we got to southern Minnesota um, and driving probably too fast because a police officer pulled us <gasps> over. Uh, Josh was driving. Over. Yeah, we had California plates. We were going enough over the speed limit that it was borderline. It wasn't like you definitely get a ticket, but it was in the realm where- It was a definite it, warning. It, yeah, so we get pulled over, right? And the 
the the police officer comes to the front the the window and you know asks for license and registration and asks why we were going so fast and Josh is like oh we're gonna go see her folks trying to like you yeah know, evoke the seeing her folks in Wisconsin and the guy goes whereabouts in Wisconsin and Alyssa I like reverted to my childhood accent what I was like. I was like, oh, you know, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to get up. Uh, you know, my family's up in, uh, you know, up by uh, St. Croix, you know, St. Croix Falls up in Wisconsin, <laughs> kind of up by there. Yeah, we're just, you know, it's my birthday coming up. I'm real excited. And I'm like, I swear, I didn't realize I was doing it at the time, but I was like speaking the local dialect and he let us off without anything written at all. No way. I think it, well, it was because I was, a, it was just the, oh, gee, shucks. All for fast, you know, like <laughs> you were literally like you were. That's like a cartoon. That's like a cartoon version of the of the accent you grew up with. Yeah, but that's how people. There are some people who actually talk like that. You know, you know, as they say in France, "chasson son goût" to each his own taste. <laughs> totally, and for whatever reason, that local police officer in rural southern Minnesota decided that. <laughs> was enough to let us off, which was very lucky for us. Um, so I want to talk real quick first in the news, because I, I was in like no cell phone territory, like through Wyoming, I could not get a signal, which was nice because there was so much bullshit happening. It was cool to be free of it for a little bit. Um, but when I was in cell phone territory, this story broke. Um, on Tuesday, Representative Ted Yoho of Florida a Republican, mm. um, was overheard by a reporter calling Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez disgusting and a fucking bitch. And he told her to her face, you are out of your freaking mind. Her crime was uh, expressing this... Breathing. E exactly. Her crime was breathing um, and also expressing a, a well-known fact that there is a link between uh, rising poverty and desperation and an uptick in crime. Um, and that, that really set him off. So Alyssa, I just, I, I would love to know your thoughts on the initial encounter. We'll get to the apology next. So, I mean, at first, so like you, I've, I've been trying to be on Twitter a little bit less because uh, life is too short. And then I saw a text about Ted Yoho from a friend and I was like, who is this? And I couldn't what is so troubled inside his brain? Like what happened to him as a child? What happens to him on a day-to-day -day basis? That that was his like reaction to someone having a fucking opinion that had almost nothing to do with, actually nothing to do with him. And it's like, was he showing off for his friends? Were one of his like GOP nasty cronies watching? And like, we double dog dare you to go fucking call AOC a cunt. Like, is that what happened? I don't know, because there's no real reason for what had happened. So the only reason could be something so outlandish that it's actually funny, except there's nothing funny about Ted Yoho. Yeah, he's retiring after this term, uh, probably to get oh, back to his- Oh, is he? Oh. Yeah. Oh. oh. What's he going to no. do, Aaron? What's he going to go back to? I don't know. But before this, he was a large animal veterinarian. So probably he will be learning some better manners from his patients. Oh, burn. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of burns, uh, he, <laughs> he issued an apology on the floor of the U.S. House on Wednesday that was not an apology. Not even a little. 
Not an apology. He said, uh, I, I rise, rise to apologize for the abrupt manner of the conversation I had with my colleague from New York. It is true that we disagree on policies and visions for America, but that does not mean we should be disrespectful. Okay, here's the part that made me go like, it got into fuck this guy territory <laughs> well before this, but I was like re- a renewed sense of like double plus fuck this guy. Having, Having been, been married, married for 45, for 45 years 45 with two years. daughters, mm, no. I'm very cognizant mm. of my language. Mm. The offensive name calling uh, words attributed to me by the press were never spoken to my colleagues. And if they were construed that way, I apologize for their misunderstanding. Mm. I love apologizing for what a misunderstanding. <laughs> Apologies do not contain conditional statements. If is not an apology. If is an excuse. That's not an apology. It's an excuse. Correct. And it's a lie. And it's a lie. Here's the other thing, Ted Yoho. I just want him to know I had no fucking idea who he was ever before this. And so one, sad for him. And two, this is what we know of him now. He's a bad guy. He's a clout chaser. He was clout chaser. He chasing. is a clout chaser. He wanted like his special minute on Hannity. That's what he was looking for. He's like, maybe, maybe they'll feature me in some like, Go that guy segment. <laughs> Go that guy segment. I mean, that does sound like something about as creative as they can come up with. It's on like Hannity the entire show. Hannity show. <laughs> he is. I mean, okay. So now Ted Yoho is clearly a mis- and he also said that you know AOC kind of mildly accused her of lying, saying that that didn't happen, mm, even though it course. was the press. Even though it was the press that reported the comment to AOC, learned about it from a report from the Hill newspaper. So she didn't just like mm. come out and say that happened. A reporter overheard it. And reported on it. And that's how she learned. But she's the liar. Anyway, um, so he's a misogynist. He's a coward. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's a, a yo-ho. <laughs> he's a yo-ho. <laughs> if I had a free space on uh, shithead, multi-hyphenate shithead bingo, I would only need racist to get bingo. Is he a racist too? Yeah, of course he's a racist. He's a racist. He's a sexist. He's a misogynist. He's all the ists. Um, I kind of want to play a game where we can insult Ted Yoho more creatively than he can insult people that he wants to insult. I think that we are oh, capable fun. of Oh, fun. Let's play a game. Let's do creative insulting because we're not Congress people. No, never going to be. Can, <laughs> no, thank God. <laughs> I would be getting in trouble every day. Um, I think that, he, that Ted Yoho is like the human equivalent of a dryer lint trap Full of pubes. Whoa. I think he's like the decaying bug debris in your mailbox. Oh, that's good. Okay. I think he's like a piece of unwrapped gum that you find in the bottom of your bag that's covered with like mysterious purse dirt. Also, he's kind of like the nasty soup at the bottom of your recycle bin. (laughs) Oh, okay. An empty bottle of Malibu rum that has pee in it. Or the sludge in a vase when you've left your flowers in too long. Oh, the, with the smell. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you pour it into your sink and you're like, oh, the smell. Like, oh, it's like toxic. It like makes your oh. eyes water. Okay. A styrofoam bin of leftovers that you forget in the trunk before you go away for the weekend and you come back and your whole car smells like hot trunk leftovers. Also, like the stuff that gets stuck, the stuff that gets stuck to the scooper in the litter box. 
<laughs> oh, um, okay. I think that one wins. Litter box stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. See, and we didn't call him a fucking bitch. Once, Not even one though- unsavory word was used to describe Ted Yoho. We hope no, everybody cute. follows our lead. I think our Congress people, at least, like be a little <laughs> at bit a more minimum. Creative. At a minimum. Um, I feel like that's a roast. I think we roasted Ted. Roast. Yoho. He's roasted. There's nothing left. And he wasn't tasty. No, he was stringy and he was an like alligator, alligator meat from yeah. Florida. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like a dehydrated alligator. A dehydrated alligator meat. <laughs> I think, you know, just like all joking around aside, I think that it's just like the reason we're talking about this story, which you know, I feel like every single woman has had some guy call her a fucking bitch for no reason. And it just it shouldn't be. I mean, usually it's just some random person on the street because I didn't smile or something. Um, but it shouldn't be a member of Congress calling another member of Congress a fucking bitch. I think it's reflective of like a deeply held shitty attitude. Totally. I mean, well, because also just like flip it for a minute. Imagine if for one second, if a woman member, a female member of Congress turned to a man and was like, you fucking dick and said it with the level of vitriol that he said, you fucking bitch. I mean, it's it's like you can't even conceive of it because it would never happen unless you and I were in Congress. Unless you and I were in Congress. And that's why we will never be in Congress. because we No, do because not- to the State of the Union, we would wear fuck that guy shirts. <laughs> We would get kicked out. They would make us put tape over it. Those um, classy ladies that wear white. Fuck that. Yeah, except us wearing fuck that guy shirts. Um, <laughs> I I do think, yeah, I think it's like a, look, he's, he's an asshole and I'm glad that he's going to be out of Congress and he'll probably be replaced by somebody even worse because Florida is having a normal one. Uh, in the in the year 2020. Florida is that. living up to 2020. <laughs> it's, Florida is the, tw- in, Florida is the 2020 of state. Yes, it is. It is. Sorry, Florida, but you know it's true. I mean, some good people in Florida, but very much overshadowed by the 2020s of people uh, in the 2020s. Wow. You really brought that full circle. I really did. I I tried. Um, We have another story about, like, sexism at Fox News, but I think everybody kind of knows. Yeah, that's been happening. Um. Are you surprised? When do you think that it'll end? There's a there's a um, a lawsuit against some prominent members of the Fox News fraternity uh, that are implying <laughs> some pretty heinous sex crimes. Fox News says they've conducted their own investigation um, and they've concluded that these accusations were false. Why do you think the story is so believable as it's as it's like printed? Why do you think her lawsuit is as believable as it is? Because everything she says rings true. You know, it's like the thing, there were two parts of the story that I thought. One, that Fox News uh, executives had been aware of these complaints since 2017. Now, if I were Fox and had multiple movies and exposés done, I might have just new broom sweeps clean this whole thing and gotten like gone through the annals of things I had covered up over the years and been like, maybe we should just get rid of some of these guys. Um, because really, what sort of contribution does Ed Henry make to society? I mean, I'm just like not sure why you, you fucking lay your hat on that guy. Like, it's crazy. I can't picture his face. When I picture his face, I picture a lump of white clay. It's I can't picture him. He's like not even Play-Doh. He's like homemade Play-Doh with like no c- coloring added. But he, <laughs> the other thing though that I thought was really, the, the, 
talking about Fox, it's hard to use the word shocking, but this one I thought was so fucking gross. The reporter who also uh, alleged to claim Kathy Aro, is that how you say her name? Aro? Mm -hmm. She said that when she was on the show, Hannity offered one of his staff people $100 to take her on a date. And she found out about it. And like, what the fuck? Like, what kind of malevolent, deranged monster are you that you fucking think that's funny? I mean, it just goes to their whole mindset. So like, none of this is shocking. It's just, uh, it's just the sludge at the bottom of your recycle bin. You, I mean, you can't just like think that acting out the credits to the Benny Hill show is the same thing as having a personality. I it's have not. not thought about Benny Hill in ages. Well, now you're going to be thinking about it. Every time there's chaos, I'm like, this is like Benny Hill, but with like less harassment. Fuck. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's totally, un, it's, look, I, again, I don't want to like accuse people who haven't been like proven to have done the things that they're accused of doing. But I think the reason that Fox News, accusations against male Fox News hosts are so believable is because there is like, sexism happening on that network all the time and like from right. from the way and, that like and so why would we think that like oh yeah they just they just play sexists on tv they don't do it at home exactly like the the stuff that they spew out in the open on national television doesn't seem incongruent with this kind of stuff happening behind the scenes <laughs> Right. And actually, they would be kind of hypocrites if they were so, like, adamantly sexist on the air and then they weren't actually. <laughs> I mean, the, look. It's the equivalent of if someone tried to report salacious news that they had seen you and I at a pro-choice rally. Like, not incongruent <laughs> with what you hear on the show. Nope. That tracks. That tracks. tracks. You had, so well, good for the goose, good for the gander. Yeah, totally. Okay. Well, let's see how well, we'll see how this plays out, but I'm sure that is definitely not the last thing that we've heard uh fucked up about Fox News and that machine. Um I want to do a toast before we take uh You have a good we get toast to our, this week. I do have a good toast and we also have a great interview to get to. So I want to do the do the toast first. Okay. First, I want to toast Natalie Portman who do it. is uh, joining in an owner ownership group with celebrities such as Eva Longoria, Jessica Chastain, America Ferreira, Uzo Aduba, and athletes like Mia Hamm, Abby Wambach, Lauren Holiday, Serena Williams, as well as uh, Serena Williams' husband, Mr. Serena Williams. Um, they're bringing a National Women's Soccer League team to LA, and they're calling it Angel City, and it will be the National Women's Soccer League's 11th team, and they will start playing in 2022, God willing. I just love when celebrities who have love don't it. need to do don't need to do this, don't need to do any of it, and they're putting their money in a good place. National Women's Soccer League is, I think, going to be a really fun league to watch, um, especially going into the next few years once sports come back. It's just women's soccer is just so it's fun. the best. It's the best. And it's great to see people like Natalie Portman, Oscar winner, doesn't need to do any of this, doing it anyway. And I am very excited because my niece, JJ, we call her Baby Rapino. She's so good with her little soccer ball. Oh, yeah. It's is really that the cute. niece that you were, the niece yes. you were just babysitting? Yes. Oh, She's man. She's Baby Rapino. Lil Rapino. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm excited because selfishly, um, it'll be nice to have like women's soccer games to go to that are close to home for me. So yeah. All excited. right. Exciting. 
Yay. Okay. So that's the toast for this week. Natalie Portman roast to Ted Yoho. Also, fuck that guy, Ted fuck Yoho. Now let's, now let's get to our interview. Let's call up a, a really cool lady. It's a big one this week. Yeah. Let's call this really cool lady up. Hi, Congresswoman. Hi, Congresswoman. The land of 10,000 lakes has produced some stellar progressive politicians. And today, I am so excited to welcome one of them, representing Minnesota's 5th District. Welcome to Hysteria, Representative Ilhan Omar. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Yeah, I'm excited too. I wore my Paul Wellstone shirt in honor of Minnesota progressives and the great tradition of people pushing the envelope from the land of 10,000 lakes. So You are such a show off. I'm a nerd. <laughs> but also I, I grew up near Minneapolis, St. Paul, and I'm currently like an hour and a half away in front of these curtains that I, are I, from my childhood. I tell, you know, we, we have um, a battle between the progressives in, in the Congressional Progressive Caucus who has the most, prog- who represents the most progressive district in the state. And then like, that's, that's me. It's, yeah, it's got to like, hands it's got to Hands down, it's me. And Robert, he's like, I represent Oakland. Like, no, no, you don't understand. We're so psyched that you're here. Congresswoman George Floyd lived and was murdered in your district. And so this fight is personal for you on many levels. Now that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act has passed the House and is now in the Senate, what are some of the big structural changes within the bill that you view as the most pressing? And what have you seen change in your district? And what do you hope continues to change? Yeah, um, so... The, the piece of legislation uh, that we passed is quite transformative um, and to me really speaks to the moment we're in. Uh, if you think back to many of you know, the, the, the protests that we've engaged in in our country in order to push for progress, um, they've taken a long time to, to see any change take place. And within 30 days, we were not only able to introduce the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, but we were able to pass it, right? Um, he, he was killed by Minneapolis police on the 25th of May, on the 25th of June. Um, we passed it on, in, on the floor of um, the House. What it does is that it gets rid of qualified immunity. It gets rid of the no-knock warrants. It creates a database for police misuse of uh, power which would have saved Tamir Rice's life, because as many of you know, the police officer who killed young Tamir Rice had a long history uh, in many other municipalities before he came to the municipality in which he took the life of Tamir Rice. It also bans chokehold, and it would have saved the life of Eric Garner and obviously George Floyd. And for Brianna Taylor, the no-knock warrant ban is very special to, to that case. It also creates a system where there is an incentive for there to be uh, de-escalation exercised and prioritized. And that one is a, is a special one to me, and it's one that I co-led with Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas, because the first police killing of an innocent man that I witnessed was on uh, the intersection of Franklin and Chicago. His name was Abu Jailani. This was a man who was just released from a mental health institution who didn't speak English. 
and the Minneapolis police put about 35 bullets into his body because he wasn't responding to commands. He really didn't harm anyone. He didn't have a history of harming anyone. He didn't just take somebody's life. We have seen many cases where people who have just killed multiple people be taken alive, given a bulletproof vest, and maybe even taken to McDonald's, drive through to get food. And so, so in this particular case, you know, this, he, was a, he was a father. He was awaiting the birth of his son, who I think now just turned 18 um, and is, is seeking for that case to be reopened. No police officer was charged. No case was filed. None of them were fired from the police force. And the idea of forcing them to explain themselves and why they didn't de-escalate a situation like that and why they had to use excessive force is an important one that will save many lives. And so this piece of legislation, I think it's the most transformative one we can have in this moment. And there are many other pieces of legislation that we've all introduced as part of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, that we hope will get their their day out of committees and, and be voted on. Because what we're seeing right now isn't just a need to transform policing, but a transformation in all of our criminal justice system, whether it is the courts, whether it is policing, whether it's our prisons. Um, all of these systems are systems that have victimized black and, and brown bodies. Uh, and we get a chance to have a conversation about how to holistically transform these systems so that there is an actual justice for everyone. So switching gears a little bit from giant systemic injustice to the way that that injustice translates into personal interactions, your colleague, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was verbally attacked by Representative Ted Yoho of Florida on the Capitol steps on Tuesday. With the understanding that AOC can and has spoken for herself on this, what do you think it is about you, AOC, and the rest of the squad that drives GOP men so nuts? I think it's their threatened masculinity and inability to really deal with women who who have opinions, who understand their position and power, who not only speak for themselves, but speak for marginalized communities and those that have been an afterthought in our systems. And people who are not used to really the the appeasing of the traditional ways in which patriarchy and misogyny and white supremacy has control in in holes of of power and you know many many of us have seen the the tweet storms that have ensued after you know alexandria spoke up about what happened to her and it's case after case of women recounting the situations in which they were accosted in the same ways as she was. And these are the most minuscule (laughs) examples of what is triggering to men who've never had their power checked, who've never had women speak to them with authority, or who've never actually expected women like us to speak to them with authority and to even be their colleagues with a platform 
honestly bigger than theirs and an ability to get things in ways that they haven't been able to. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Oh, can't even count the ways. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's like saying, have you, have you, have you uh, had the opportunity to breathe or drink water? <laughs> I mean, you know? I'm laughing, but it's like, it's horrible. Like nobody, nobody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, the, the, the level of vitriol, you know, that we deal with as women gets amplified by, for some of us, by the intersectional identities that we have. You know, I have been called a cunt, a bitch in front of my children, in, at Burger King, in McDonald's, just simply getting out of my car. I mean, the, the level of stuff, <laughs> I think that we deal with just for existing is, is, is something I think to our male counterparts would be shocking if if we were all you know wearing hidden cameras and all of that was was captured. Yeah, I mean, what's the? I mean, in front of your kids, that's horrible. Um, yeah. Do you think that? I mean, you're kind of smiling and laughing as you're talking about it. Do you think that having to deal with this over and over again has kind of, in this twisted way, made us and made you and made AOC tougher? Oh, it certainly has, and you know what. I used to say that old adage of, you know, we, 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 we don't get stuff thrown at us that we can't really handle is, is, is really being exemplified in the ways in which we lead our lives. You know, the, the stronger you are, the more you get to deal with. And I think, you know, to have the, the four of us really experience this in the ways in which we have experienced in, in the hostile environment we exist in, in Congress has become, I think, a liberating thing for, for women across our country and the world because they, they get to see how we handle the hostility and use that as an inspiration to, to stand up for themselves, to, to remember it is our power that's threatening. It's our presence that's threatening. It is not really anything that we, we have done, you know, which is often what we are made to feel, right? People say, what did you do? Like, I just got harassed. And then somebody will say, what did you do? What kind of clothes were you wearing? How loud were you? It's like, no, I, I, I had, you know, my four-month-old baby in my hip with my two-year-old walking beside me. I didn't do nothing <laughs> to be called these names. You know, I, I spoke up on how crime is a byproduct of poverty. And now I have my male colleague calling me these names. And so oftentimes, you know, we don't even share these stories because we are blamed for, for trying to be a victim. And I, and I think owning our stories and our experiences is, is an important part of being a leader because you know, it allows people to see and then to also take cues from our actions in the ways in which, you know, we show up with dignity and integrity uh, and hold people accountable. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Congresswoman Omar. We really appreciate you being here and, and thank you for all that you do. Come, come home soon. Ah, I'm, I'm driving through Minneapolis in like two days. I'll, I'll wave at your district as I'm driving through. (laughs) All right, bye. We have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix zero-sugar hydration drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products, plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount, text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And we're back. Alyssa is still with me. Representative Ilhan Omar is not with us anymore. She's gone back to her job, her very important job. But we are adding another person to this lovely panel of people for this lovely discussion. She is a writer, actress, activist. And you you know her. You should know her. You should her. know her. She is. You should know her. She's Grace Para. Welcome back. Um, you know, I would like to, from here on out, be referred to as Mrs. Shingles. Because for our beautiful audience out there, this past weekend, found out that I have shingles. Yes, in the midst of a global pandemic, shingles Yay. is what I've been given. Uh, yeah, what a delight. <laughs> oh, God. Nervous, nervous little pepper, Grace Barra. <laughs> nervous little pepper, Grace Barra. That's me too. Are you okay? Like, what, yeah. do they give you medicine and stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I don't know if, our, if anybody in our audience has had shingles. If you have, please at me because I want to hear your story. This has been a wild experience. But basically, I had a rash that popped up out of nowhere on my lower back. Couldn't figure out what it was. 
wasn't itchy so much as it was just kind of like blistery and very, very painful. It was just so painful. Ew. Yeah. It was just like, all, like my nerve endings were painful. And because it's on my tailbone, I couldn't find a place to sit or a way to, to sleep that, that worked. So <laughs> three days of sleeplessness. And I was like, fuck this shit. I'm going to urgent care with all the COVID creeps. And so I go and I sit in line <laughs> and then I'm, I'm seen by a doctor before I even show him the rash. He's like, Oh, you have shingles. And I'm like, how? I, I wasn't even sure that I had chicken pox as a kid, but apparently if you have chicken pox as a kid, then you have the ability to get shingles at any point in your life. And stress is what brings it on. So mm-hmm. I don't know what I could possibly be stressful about, uh, stressed about, but I, I guess uh, there's that. So yes, they gave me a cocktail of. Yeah, it's weird. That's weird. It's a relaxing time, Grace. It's a relaxing time. <laughs> yeah. For everybody, it's basically especially vacation. for COVID. <laughs> COVID brides like me and you who work in entertainment, (laughs) who don't know when we're ever going to work in entertainment again, because who who knows? knows? TV's TV's canceled. (laughs) Everything's canceled. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, I've got, I've got all the meds uh, imaginable and it's, it it is working. Like immediately I could feel it working, which is great. So now I just have to hope that the, you know, blistering isn't too painful. What an awful sentence. (laughs) I just have yeah. to hope. For real. <laughs> the blistering, <laughs> the blistering isn't too painful. No judgment, just gross. <laughs> well, bodies are disgusting. Human bodies are uh, just, wh- why? They're awful. They're disgusting. It's gross. I want mm-hmm. I, I look forward to the time that I can just be a sort of aura that floats around. I might possess a couple kids, mm-hmm. freak their parents out. <laughs> You know, that's interesting. I, I would like to possess um, inanimate objects. Oh, okay. like a home, like a, like a painting, painting. Oh, oh, if I could possess a painting, I would be so excited about that. I thought Teddy Ruxpin was possessed. <laughs> <laughs> I really Wait, did. You're going to be a haunted painting when you're a ghost, Grace. Uh, yeah. Alyssa, what are your post-death aspirations? I mean, I want to be the Scooby-Doo mystery machine that hunts down the mystery of Grace's haunted painting. (laughs) That's perfect. Our storylines entwine. Intersect. It's a crossover episode of The Ages. (laughs) I love it. It's like a Babysitter's Club super special where they all have Yes. Yes. Everyone gets Um, together. Wait, can I tell you guys a funny random story? Yes. Yes. You made me think of it. Um, Do you remember Facts of Life? Yes. Okay, so you remember Natalie. Uh Uh-huh. So Natalie, Mindy Cohen, was actually in this, she sang on Michael Jackson's PYT with Janet Jackson. What? I read that this week, and it blew my brain apart, and I had to share. What? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. She sang on PYT. So anyway, just to add that to the mystery machine for later on That definitely needs to be added. That's pretty... That's an interesting, you know, it's like when I, I just found out that Matt Berry, who is in what we do in my the shadows, favorite which is comedy F- on television. It's so good. Alyssa, you would, it's so I have to watch the greatest. It's like a, a mockumentary about real vampires living in Staten Island. Brilliant. It's oh, so it's right funny. Yeah. But the guy who plays Laszlo was a musician. Like that you can get albums what? of his. And so Whoa. that, yeah. So there's an episode Laszlo. where they're like making fun of, yeah, they're saying Laszlo wrote the song Kokomo. And there's like these, all these inside jokes about Laszlo being this like long-term like musician for hundreds and hundreds of yeah. years and writing all these like annoying songs. And it's like a joke about him being like a real musician. <laughs> and I was Whoa. like, oh. I did not know that makes me very happy. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to talk about, uh, let's get into our topic today. Um, I want to talk about, the, okay, this is what got me on this kind of tear. Um, I've been reading a lot of forums, like just one way I'm dealing with the stress of this is reading a lot of like Reddit forums about weddings. Yeah. And uh, you have a lot of, a lot of people are pretty pragmatic and kind of commiserating about like the stress and of the uncertainty of the pandemic. Um, there's also like a wedding shaming message board and, um, on wedding shaming the other day, there was a post from a woman about wedding bracelets. And I was so furious about it that I texted Grace. (laughs) Yep. So there are, apparently there are people who, you know, during COVID-19 in a part of the world where there is an undeniable saturation of viral infestation. Like there is no doubt, there's no denying the fact that you just have to treat everybody like they're infected. Um, People are still going forward with giant weddings, but people are (gasps) trying to act as though they can be safe by having people wear red bracelets if they want to be social distanced from and green bracelets if hugging is okay. And that's just not reality. Like, and and it, it, it sort of made me think about specialness and in the way that it fits into this, like we all are brought up as Americans to believe ourselves to be special. And we are all brought up to believe that our country is also special. There's something exceptional about it. Um, but one of the most important lessons I've learned growing up and hopefully becoming less of a shithead as I've gotten older is that actually I'm not that special which is kind of a relief. Um, so I want to I want to talk about specialness as a concept um, and where it goes from being helpful to being kind of destructive. Uh, Grace, was there a moment in your life when you realized you were either special or not special? And, and how did that change your trajectory or your outlook? I definitely feel special in that I have shingles during a global pandemic. I'll tell you that. Um, Also, can I just say to the wedding bracelets people, this isn't fucking Fogo de Chow, okay? You don't get to say, (laughs) yeah, green, I'd like some some social contact and red, no stop, I'm full of pork belly or whatever. Like, it's just, I hate... That whole thing is is super upsetting, but I'm very glad you brought it up because people do need to be shamed for doing that. Um, There have been several moments in my life where I felt unspecial. And I'll tell you that there is no better way to start to feel like you're not special than trying to move to Los Angeles and do entertainment because you'll be shut down real quick in a number of different ways. And it starts to eat at your core. But here's here's what I found that... (laughs) <laughs> the ways in which I used to identify as special as a kid were always achievement-based ways. So it was either, oh, I was doing well academically. Oh, I was, you know, doing well in my particular field of theater, comedy, writing, whatever it may be. And the way that we talk about specialness tends to be in achievement-based ways. So it's about somebody doing well athletically or performatively, leadership-wise, they're great writers, whatever. But we never talk about people being special in terms of the of their character. And the older that I get, the more I realize that that is to me what makes people special. And that is to me the way that I hope to be perceived as special. Um, But it's a problem when we identify special and use it synonymously with with achievement or with... um, you know, being precocious or gifted and talented because that's... that's, you know, I just don't think that's the extent of it. And, 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 you know, you see people like the, I don't know, the Mozarts, the box of the world, people who are essentially, um, 
focused on like the, the one art or the one skill that they're excellent at, but, and they become known for these things, but we don't necessarily know what their characters are outside of that. And, uh, and I think that it's a mistake to tell kids at a young age that whatever it takes, they need to achieve and be good at something, because that's what leads mm-hmm. to this, sen- this sensation of, of exceptionalism. Uh, the belief that people mm-hmm. have something that they possess, something that nobody else in the world does. And even if they do to ignore all other facets of interactions with humans and to ignore all other facets of being essentially a good person, uh, I think can be really, really, really destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, are you special? Why do I get that question? <laughs> special. Of course I'm special. You're both special. I think that like, I had like a very specific German Oma, you know, like she wasn't, uh, she was warm to me, but she wasn't like uh, anything I did was awesome. But she always said I was special. And special doesn't mean that you are exceptional. It means that you're unique, right? Like in my family, Mm -hmm. the word special meant that you were unique, which not, again, not always a compliment. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, like I think I have always thought of that. That's why I was very interested in this topic. I had a feeling that I might come out a little different than you two. (laughs) But like I just, I was, I think everybody is sort of special in their own way, but it's a personal thing. It's not an accomplishment or achievement way. It's like maybe there's a way that you look at life. Maybe there's a way you treat people. Maybe there's a way you treat animals. Maybe there's something that motivates you every day since you were little when you got out of bed that makes you like a, a special person. So I think we're all, mm-hmm. and I don't mean it in like a, everybody gets a fucking participation trophy kind of way. <laughs> like, I just think that mm-hmm. there's, I just think that we are all, if we all don't have something unique to contribute to this world and like, what are we here for? So that's why mm-hmm. I feel like that's, if I'm not a little special, <laughs> then why am I here? I have to be. Right. But I anyway, that's, special that's ex- how I feel. I mean, the special exceptional difference is distinction, I think, is important. Like, I I remember reading this piece in The Atlantic like five or six years ago about parents who uh, their kids are not at the top of their class. And so they take their kids to a school to like a psychologist. And there's a psychologist who is like, in the 80s, parents who took their kids to me would hope that they didn't have any sort of um, behavioral or mental health condition that needed to be treated. And nowadays, they hope that they do have something because what other explanation is there for their kid to not be the very best unless there's some kind of thing in the way of of them being the very best? Um, I just think like the exceptional thing translates to this kind of weird space we're living in right now. And I think in the pandemic, it's really bringing it out where people here are like hopeful enough about their specialness or exceptionalism or whatever, that they'll buy a lottery ticket that they have no chance of winning. But they don't, they also think they're so special that they can have a giant wedding or a big event during a pandemic and they won't spread it. Why do you think that is? And how do we overcome it and Okay, well, to the point about lottery tickets, I am that person because I really love a scratcher. I don't know if you guys know this about me. (laughs) I do love a scratcher. Um, I, yeah, I, I wonder if it just makes life more exciting to feel that you're special and, um, and, and uh, yeah. And I do think that it's in the culture of America to feel like there's just some, some, you know, little star that we were born under by virtue of being here, by the way, this is what makes the 
the way that we treat the undocumented community and immigrants in general so loathsome, you know, that that we are so quick to identify the people that who, you know, people who happen to be born on this soil are so much better than anybody else. If you're because if you're not, then you have to go through all these hoops and all these barriers just to become one of us. Um, but yeah, I really do like scratchers. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, like what what do you see as the problem with like American exceptionalism and individual Americans feeling as though they are exceptional or entitled to the spoils of what an exceptional person should have. Well, right. I mean, I think that the people who run around thinking they're exceptional have actually done nothing personally to achieve that, right? They have, they have like taken it for themselves, which is a byproduct of whatever sort of ism that they're dealing with. And so I think that people use exceptionalism as an excuse for other things that are really wrong. Like American exceptionalism, like what the fuck is that? <laughs> like I don't even like I don't even know what that means. It's like we're exceptional. No, we're we're special. We've had special struggles. We're unique to other countries. Um I think especially right now, I don't think that we're proving we're exceptional in any way, shape or form. Um and so I think that it's like, I just think a lot of times it's just used as an excuse to say that you're better than someone else. You know, like exceptional isn't usually, people aren't talking about it as a collective kind of thing. Like altogether we're exceptional. It's like, no, I'm exceptional. No, this country's exceptional. And that's why you can't come here because we're better than you. So like, that's why I just mm -hmm. think it's all bullshit. Mm -hmm. It also kind of reminds me of like every time there's a news story about uh, billionaires. And you'll, if you go underneath and look at the replies, if you're, a mis if you're, um, if, if you love, love to hurt yourself mentally, like <laughs> me, um, you look at the replies and the replies will be a mix of people that are like, we must eat the billionaires and people that are like, billionaires must be defended at all costs. No taxing, you know, as though th they believe deep down inside that one day they will be billionaires. So that like, there are so many people who like, it's that is crazy to me. I don't believe I'm going to be a billionaire by any means, but I do hope that I can be more like, I, I hope that I can, ha I hope that I can like ha own a house one day. I hope that there are things that I hope that I can achieve. And, and I wonder if like, by seeing the examples of people who are exceptions, does that force us to work a little bit harder? Or does that, does that give us an impetus to work a little bit harder? In other words, what's the kind of silver lining of seeing people, not, not believing ourselves that we are exceptional, but seeing others who believe themselves to be exceptional? Hmm. hmm. That's a good know. question. You stumped I me. mean, I, th <laughs> I think that sometimes it, it depends on the ways in which that plays out. Because I think sometimes people going around and acting as though they're exceptional when they're really not like cartoonishly yeah. not it serves they serve as kind of like a, a you know a human cautionary tale you know like you you take a look at like Ivanka Trump she's a woman who has been told her whole life that she is exceptionally brilliant because she is a middle schooler playing on the mental t-ball league <laughs> of the Trump family essentially and like and so she has no concept of like she is lived her entire life believing that she has, she's really smart, but she is not. And watching that play out is not that, it, that anybody ever, you know, I was never raised to, to treat, to act like how she acts, but it serves as like a really important warning to like, when you don't know what you're talking about, seek out more knowledge or join the conversation from a place of honesty uh -huh. rather than a place of pretending and faking it Till you make it. So I think that that's maybe one way that they serve as like warnings to me. 
But on the other hand, you know, hearing people's stories like Ilan Omar, who was on the show, um, came to the U.S. after living in a refugee camp. And she is an exceptional person Uh who has now, she's now in Congress and she's breaking all these barriers and she's super vocal and undaunted by all of the vitriol that gets thrown in her direction. She is a really good example of a person who is like, yeah, I'm fucking exceptional and I'm going to continue to be exceptional. Like, so there's like inspiring exceptional Uh who people who have done the work. And then there's like, warning exceptional <laughs> people who have not done the work. Right. And that's sort of how, that's sort of how I see it. Um, but I mean, an, another thing I was thinking about, like, Alyssa, have you ever met somebody or worked with somebody or encountered somebody, uh, who believes themselves to be incredibly special, but are sort of like cartoonishly not? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. As an intern in 1997 in Washington, D.C., halls riddled with them. <laughs> All of these like, no, it was it was like an interesting thing just because I, you know, I went to school in like pretty rural places and I grew up in a ruralish community. So like most people worked hard and it was just everybody kind of thought of each other as like roughly the same. And then I got and I knew what I did to become an intern. Like I fucking worked hard. I wrote a good letter, you know. And, but there were these kids who like the hand of God had touched them. They were like, and they just walked around and their heads were up and their bow ties, they were all men. They were like bow ties were (laughs) super tight. And they would just talk. And it was, uh, and it was the first time I really very much remember being like, who the fuck are these people? Like, why do they think they're so cool? Like, did they really do anything? And the funny thing is they were the least exceptional because I'm the one not to say that I'm special. <laughs> I'm the one. But I was the one that did the work, right? They were the ones who were like the godchildren of congressmen or some shit, right? Like they didn't do anything but have a relative. It's not like they did the work. And so I was like, I like to work in government. I don't think I should return to Washington because it made me feel bad about myself. <laughs> why, why is it always men in bow ties and like hot chicks? They're always, it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, not, not everybody who dresses like Velma from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> another way, another way that you're a special. It's another way. Um, <laughs> God, you know, something that, that uh, Grace, early in this conversation, you brought up like going to LA and kind of understanding that you're not as special as you hoped that. And I was just thinking about how like, there was, okay, so I grew up in a really small town, a town where I am cur- I currently am in Frederick, Wisconsin. Oh, hey, I love, oh, so cute. Yeah, you can see, yeah. Currently in Frederick, Wisconsin, um, a town of 1,100 people. And so any kid in a town that small that has any unique attributes at all is automatically special. So it was like everybody was special in one way or another. And, uh, but along with that, you know, I was special in that I was, uh, I got good grades and I worked really hard in school and I was in all the clubs, Uh but you know, other, everybody had something, you know, there were kids that were like, this kid can build a fucking chair out of wood. And you know, like they're the kids or this, this guy's been working on a farm since he was eight and he can lift incredible amounts of things. (laughs) You know, there was like a lot of, a lot of specialness, but you know, when I went off to college, um, and I was all of a sudden around all these other kids who had done all the same shit that I'd done, but in bigger places where things were more competitive, it almost felt like a relief. Like I wasn't the one who can 
do this. I wasn't the one who's, you know, I, I wasn't one of four kids in advanced biology anymore. Uh-huh. You know, like it, it was, it felt kind of nice to, to realize that the pressure, like, I think when you feel like you're special, you think that the pressure on you is coming from the outside of people having expectations of you. And when you realize that you're actually not special, then you start to be, or I started to be a little bit more self-driven where it's like the only people who are going to get mad or hold me accountable is me. And if I don't do that, then I can't like, I can't trust my grandma to overhear that I was fucking off in basketball practice and yell at me. And then I do, then I get my shit in gear. I have to decide that I'm going to do stuff. So I guess like when I talk about not being special, I don't mean it like a, oh, shucks guys, Mm -hmm. I need a compliment. (laughs) It's like, no, it's super freeing. Like it's really freeing to walk around in a city like New York where everybody is really smart and works really hard and is pretty and in good shape and be like, cool, I'm not, I'm not a superlative here. It's, it's great. <laughs> you know, it's great for, for a couple, couple thoughts on that. First of all, it's because it allows you then to examine who you are outside of your achievements. And I think especially mm. as women, we, when we under, start to understand what it feels like to receive accolades for achievement, it feels good. And because many of us grew up in situations just like yours, Aaron, where, you know, you are one of not only just a few kids doing well, but also one of a few girls doing well, uh, you want to continue down that train to do whatever it takes to continue to achieve. Um, but there's a lot that gets lost in the way. And, and I can only speak from experience, but I don't think that I ever took a, took a real look at the way that I was treating other people until I had moments like that, until I really started to feel like, okay, I don't have to be spending every moment of my life trying to achieve, trying to continue to do well, trying to continue to get these good grades because, hey, now I'm like 17, 18, whatever. And I understand that there's more to life than just that. But here's what's interesting is I think that the way that the school system is set up and the way that college acceptances are set up, you're sort of taught to be a to, t- to try to achieve and be the best that you can in as many areas as possible. Have the one sport that you're good at, have the one artistic thing that you're good at, have the one, you know, academic area that you're really strong at, that be good at all the others. And so it, it sort of forces you to feel like you have to be an all around excellent person uh, in ways that can be like where you can check boxes on a school record, you know, in ways that have mm-hmm. some sort of numerical uh, comparison. And it's only really when you get to college and realize that moment, Erin, I had the exact same moment where I was like, oh, I'm just surrounded. And I was literally in New York too for college where I was just surrounded by a bunch of other people who were way better at me than all these things. And it was so freeing because it was like, oh, this was all just kind of a prelude. Like this, this, this bullshit mm-hmm. rat race that I was in was just a prelude to get to be with these people. So to get to be in that circle was wonderful, but it just felt like it was the beginning of a new chapter where achievement wasn't the end game. And I'm super mm-hmm. grateful for that. Again, like, like the whole like coming to LA and and I'm sure that that the entertainment industry story that's you know individual to me and and, and many of our LA and, and and you know artistic listeners can be um, reflected in pretty much any industry where you get to whatever industry it is and realize like you're you know you're starting on the bottom rung um, but there is something universal about about going from a place of achievement and realizing like that's not all there is to life there's got to be so much more to quote Michelle mm-hmm. Branch. Um, Alyssa, you were in a position when you worked at the White House that you were helping manage interns and like you've been in a position where you're like selecting people for these like high level positions. 
Did you ever have to talk anybody down from like the joyless pursuit of specialness? Or did you ever have to, did you ever encounter somebody who was so convinced of their own specialness that they kind of took you on? Oh my God. I mean, I'm the worst person. Cause here's the thing, like listening to you guys talk, I'm like, oh my God, have I been living inside my head, which is just a, a lifelong grateful dead show where I'm like, everything's <laughs> fucking great. Like I'm special because you know, true story. The other day I was in the car and you know, it's like, we spend a lot of time alone now. And so I'm in the car and I was driving, I was going to be in the car for like an hour. And I challenged myself to, after every song, change the channel and see if I could know the lyrics to every song. And I did in the course of an hour. I knew, and I'm like, I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> I literally, I was like, yes, I fucking did it. I'm great. And so I think that I've been judging myself by a very low bar <laughs> for a very long time, which apparently has left me a very happy person. So many people should try it. Um, no, there were a lot of times uh, at the White House when, so here's an example. Um, we would get all these kids. I mean, these resumes, I swear to God. It's like you read the resume and you're like, if I meet this kid, I'm going to punch him in the face. Like, this is so fucking annoying. <laughs> this resume is so annoying. And I had this one kid. There are these two examples that were so stark. One, uh, this, this kid, he'd been so persistent. He was the child of someone. And he, I'm like, fine, I'll fucking meet with him. And he comes in and he sits down and he tells me to my face what he thinks I need and why he should work for me. And he, as he's done, I was like, so you've, you've, you really prepared this pitch, right? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you're going to get out of my office because everything you've said is a hatch act violation. And so you definitely cannot work here. Like everything you have said is kind of illegal and you need to go. And he was he brought a bit, was, uh, Goya beans with him. <laughs> he was other level. And then there was this time way, way before this, when someone in the intern office came to me and they said, uh, there's this woman, uh, she hasn't finished community college. She's 30. She wants to be an intern. Um, you know, will you look at her resume? And I looked at her resume and this woman had been fucking doing shit for herself for so long. I was like, absolutely. And so we hired her and she said, I haven't finished. And she wrote about this. So I don't feel like I'm just closing anything. And she said, uh, I haven't finished community college yet, you know? And I was like, well, fucking figure it out. We'll figure it out. Who cares? We'll figure it out. She went on to get, to not only be an intern, but within, I think three or four months was promoted. I hired her full time because she was such a fucking killer. Because what made her special is that she was a fucking hard worker and mm -hmm. she couldn't be stopped. And uh, she ended up being fucking White House Social Secretary, Deesha Zire. I love you, bitch. <gasps> I love that yeah. story. Oh, that's and, so but the, the one thing that all the kids and I, that all, anyone who sort of worked for me, the one thing someone had to have uh, to work for me was customer service experience. If you haven't ever hmm. dealt with people, I don't want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Because it shows so much about your character. You're quick on your mm -hmm. feet. You can be courteous. You know, you understand you're the face of something bigger than yourself. So that was always my thing. So there you go. That's so interesting. I love that. Yeah. Customer service is is really encountering it is a litany of people who each individual deal with pressure. Themselves. Can you deal with pressure? Yeah. Like it's like, and it it starts at that point, like in a sort of formative age. And so uh, you know, you're more than yourself when you're dealing in customer service. You represent an organization. And if you can do a good job, then you're probably not a complete dick. <laughs> That is such a, that is such but a you guys, idea. I stand by the fact I'm special. I'm better. <laughs> I, just need special. I love it. I love it. Alyssa, I need that this morning. I need to feel that. 
I need to feel, feel it. Come on, get yeah. in the car. Find a song you know all the lyrics to. I high five myself when I finish. We didn't start the fire every time. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, that's right. We've talked that's about a this. Challenging yes. one, Alyssa. That is not just. That is. That's not. You can do it. Bye bye, Miss American Pie. Find a song, learn the lyrics, <laughs> sing it to yourself. High five at the end. <laughs> The Animaniacs president song. I know all the lyrics How, to the Animaniacs. I don't know this song. I don't know this song. How long is it? Oh. Go on YouTube okay. and look Animaniacs presidents. And oh. it's the way that I know all the presidents in order. And sometimes when I'm trying to think of like when somebody, what, like if I hear about a year in history uh -huh. and I'm trying to contextualize it by figuring out who was the president at the time, I have to sing the song to myself <laughs> in my See? head. And I'm like, oh. Martin Van Buren was the president. That I almost <laughs> fell off my stool on that one. I don't know if you guys can see that. But... <laughs> um, well, I think we're running out of time to talk about specialness. This was a very special conversation, yes. <laughs> though. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think that I'm glad, Grace and Alyssa, that you were both here because you both represent such different ways of thinking about Specialist Alyssa, you so seem to have a very healthy relationship. I'm going to get ratioed on Twitter. They're no. going to be like, the fuck I is think, wrong with her? No, no. I think, you've got a, I think you've got a healthy relationship to it. And I, I do think too. that I think that Grace and I have have a relationship that I don't want to speak for you, Grace, but I feel like it sometimes borders on like neurotic. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, speak for me. Yes. And it's, it's, we can all deal with more, we could all deal with more like, feeling special for reasons that other people yes, have. Yes. I'm, I'm not going to recover from this conversation. <laughs> Alyssa's, Alyssa's taking her glasses off. She's wiping her eyes. She's <laughs> I'm going to take some more shingles meds. I think it's time. <laughs> okay, guys, we have to take a break. But when we come back, I feel petty. Donald Trump can't leave the courtroom, so just to rub it in a little, Pod Save America is going on tour. He's probably asleep right now, but if he were conscious, he'd be so, so jealous. The Democracy or Else tour begins in Brooklyn on June 26th, followed by Boston on June 28th. Then we go to Madison, Phoenix, Ann Arbor, and Philly. See all the tour dates and get your tickets now at crooked.com slash events. And we're back. But before we get to I Feel Petty, we are still hearing from educators, teachers, and school staff who are dealing with the prospect of going back to their classrooms and schools during a pandemic. And if you're one of them and you'd like to tell us how your district is dealing or not dealing, you can reach us at hysteria at crooked.com. We definitely are keeping an eye on this and we're going to be talking about it on a future show. Also, this Sunday will be 100 days out from Election Day, and between now and then, we'll be up against things like this pandemic, voter suppression, and disinformation that will make or break this election. In an election where we'll need every last vote, we can't afford to lose a single one. That's why this Sunday, Vote Save America is kicking off a week of action to fight back and make sure that every last vote is counted on Election Day. Check out votesaveamerica.com slash everylastvote for all the details. There's a tool for you to request your vote by mail ballot, opportunities for you to call voters about voting by mail and volunteer as a poll worker on Election Day. And there's a brand new fund to support aggressive on-the-ground efforts to mobilize marginalized communities that are frequently the targets of aggressive voter disenfranchisement efforts. Find everything you need to make sure every last vote is counted on Election Day. Go to votesaveamerica.com slash everylastvote. Okay, let's get to I Feel Petty. OK, 
Okay, we are back. Uh, we've reached the part of the show where we take really petty stances on issues that uh, might make some people mad. I'm gonna I'm gonna start this uh-huh. week with I feel petty because I feel like I need as much uh, insulation as possible between what I'm about to say and the end of the show when people like open their laptops and fire off angry emails. Um, <laughs> here's what I feel petty about this week. I just drove across the state of Wyoming and I stayed in Cheyenne, and I'm just gonna go ahead and say. Um, I feel like Wyoming being its own state is a scam that exists so Cheneys can be senators. Because in any other state with more people than the city of Sacramento, which is about the size of uh, the entire state of Wyoming, the city of Sacramento, two senators, two senators from the state of Wyoming. Anyway, if Wyoming were any bigger, they would be able to find two people who had more appeal than Liz Cheney. So... That's why Wyoming exists. I feel like it's a, it's a, it could be easily like put part of it into like Idaho, put like the, like, um, or Montana. You can put like Yellowstone into Montana and divide it into the surrounding states because it does not, there's not enough people to justify that being its own state. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's that's what I feel. Yeah. Look, I'm, and also like, if I'm going to dunk on any state, it might as well be the one with the least number of people to get mad at me. So <laughs> do they even have Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi there? I mean, who knows? They, they do. They did in Cheyenne. They also had a lot of motorcycle hooligans. <gasps> it was, yeah, it was very, I was like, what is this? I felt like I'd stepped into an alternate dimension of a city that was, it was just not. I know that Laramie is supposed to be charming because the university is there. And I know like in the Northwestern corner of the state, there's some cool stuff. The rest of it, I just, you know what? You can have it. You can have Wyoming. Do you know though that Wyoming was the first state, I think, to ever have a female judge on the bench? <gasps> That's, That's okay. Cool. Well, okay. Just one point. That out. <laughs> one point for Wyoming. <laughs> also, Yellowstone is nice. And I know that there are some some people in Wyoming who listen to hysteria, and I like those people. I just invite them to join a neighboring state that is maybe less bad. <laughs> Colorado, Utah. Montana. Montana. Anyway. Fair. Also, another sub thing I feel petty about, because I also just drove through the Black Hills. I cannot believe we stole the Black Hills from the Native Americans, and this is what we did with it. We covered it oh. in, like, awful shit. Terrible. Oh. Who wants to feel petty next? I'm going to get so much mean shit. But I'll go petty. Whatever. I'll petty. Okay. okay. So here's the thing. In my advancing age, 44, uh, my period gets worse and worse. And sometimes I just need to complain about it. And what I don't need okay. is someone to tell me to work out. Working out doesn't make it better. It's a fucking lie. <laughs> Laying down, having a cocktail, maybe three or four Advil, that makes it better. Working out doesn't make it better. <laughs> so stop telling me that. And don't try to like do right by me and try to like inspire, like inspire me to get up and move. I don't want to move. <laughs> I want to cradle my belly with a heating pad. So just stop. <laughs> uh, who's I telling you? Who's telling you to work out? People everywhere. So I stopped tweeting about it. People would DM me like <sighs> fucking exercises to do. Fuck off. No. Give me Advil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. Don't tell a woman with her period or with any sort of no. reproductive system pain, anybody with a anybody with a reproductive system that involves ovaries, don't tell them how to manage the pain no. of that unless you're like no. li- literally their doctor. Right. Literally. Exactly. Maybe Thank some you. essential uh, oils. 
Not all. I'm fine with <laughs> herbs, acupuncture, yeah. essential oils, different kind of weed rubs, like all fine. Just don't tell me to get on a treadmill because it's not making it better. It's not going to, it's not going to make it better. I, I hear you. You're no. right. Okay. Thank you. Noted. I think, I think you're totally justified. Okay, Grace, you want to bring us home? I'd love to. So speaking of home, I've been here for four months and I <laughs> have been somehow got shingles. So in my shingles, um, uh, recovery in the last few days, I have been utilizing the HBO max app and watching every oh. single Harry Potter movie tonight. I finished tonight is movie eight, but I have two beefs to pick, okay? One is I don't understand how Quidditch really works because (laughs) you get 150 points to catch the golden snitch and then all these other beaters are fucking running around trying to get 10 pointers and it's like, why do any of that? None of that matters. Just go for the golden snitch. Why is there only one person going for the golden snitch when that's the only way that you can really win if we're being fucking serious about it? So that's dumb. I feel really petty about that. And second, the other thing, and I'm, I'm going to get hate for this. I'm totally fine with it. Why does Hermione end up with hair with, with, with uh, Ron and not Harry? I don't understand because here's the thing. Like, and it's not that Ron doesn't, have his own virtues of course he does wonderful guy nice guy comes from a great family love all that whatever but in movie seven there's a scene where some sort of apparition or whatever and it's like hair it's 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 ron's worst nightmare and he's seeing what he thinks is is uh harry and hermione together canoodling and honestly they look fucking great together they really do (laughs) they really do and then they work really well together and also Ron just like departs for literally weeks on end and leaves Harry and Hermione together in a tent trying to make each other warm when it's fucking freezing outside you don't think there's any canoodling going on I just don't I don't understand I feel like they're a great pair because they match each other intellectually you know because Mm -hmm. they match each other in terms of their work ethic they really get it so it's not an aesthetic thing and it's not to like dunk on Ron I just really believe that Harry and Hermione should be together hmm wow I, I see that. I also think, you know, thinking about Quidditch, I, I read the books uh-huh. I, because I felt, you know, it was, it was whatever they were there. And, uh, when I was reading the books, I was like, Quidditch makes no sense. And I should have been able to see mm-hmm. from her complete lack of grasp of like game theory or game design that JK Rowling would also be terrible at gender theory. Cause she's, she's oh, not very good yep. at like, that. it's just sort of like, you think about it, it sort of falls apart. Also, if they can travel through time, they have that little turnkey thing in one of the movies why don't they just use that constantly why don't they just go back to before Voldemort Voldemort was born and kill him doesn't make any sense they have the they have the technology to kill baby Hitler (laughs) and they choose not to use it that's yeah there's a lot of stuff in that Uh, I I finished Homeland oh thoughts it's a great show Hmm. scale of one scale of one to ten uh, I would say, I mean, I, I got through eight seasons of it. So I think like it's, it's, you know, for all of its flaws, it's extremely watchable. Um, uh-huh. it can be a little sadistic with its, I mean, it's like Harry Potter kills off a lot of people in like toward the uh-huh. end of the series, uh-huh. but like, it's nothing compared to Homeland. Literally everybody, <laughs> everybody dies except for like two people by the end. It's, anyway, bloodbath. we don't, we don't need to talk. Yeah. It's a total bloodbath, but yeah, I agree with you on the the Quidditch stuff. It makes no sense. Alyssa, do you have any Quidditch opinions? No, I've, I've never watched Harry Potter or read Harry Potter. Oh, wow. I know. It's okay. I'm, I'm happy to listen and learn. <laughs> Your brain is like a phone that doesn't have like a huge app downloaded onto yeah. it. Like you have all this extra memory that you can do cool shit. Yeah. With. And for me, I, I can pretty much tell you every 
one of the 400 episodes of Law and Order, though. So. <laughs> Another way in which you're saying That special. data is used, just in a different way. <laughs> oh, guys, it's so nice to talk to you. It's so nice to see. I mean, it was nice yeah. to see my family and stuff, but it's also nice to see other faces that I'm not related yes. to or about to get married <laughs> to. That's, that's great. Uh, Grace and Alyssa, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you to Representative Ilhan Omar. We're talking with Alyssa and I, and thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Rastin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. <laughs>